As the new day dawned and the British guns fell silent, the bleary-eyed American defenders wondered if the siege was really over or if it was just a pause before the final savage assault. The same thoughts were in the minds of Francis Scott Key and his companions, including the paroled Dr. Beans, as they stood wondering and worrying on the deck of the Norfolk packet at North Point. But as the smoke cleared and the sun rose, Key saw that the city remained unconquered. There are many moving and eloquent descriptions of that moment, but the British naval historian G. J. Marcus's is as fine as any. The British were falling back to their ships, and it was in the first light of day the two Americans saw the great flag still floating defiantly above Fort McHenry. It was then, with swelling heart, that Key wrote down on the back of an old letter the famous lines with which his name will always be associated. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. Though it was unknown to Key and his contemporaries, the war, which was welding the people of the United States into a nation, had also given them a national anthem. One thing, however, was certain— Baltimore was saved. Two days after the battle, Cochrane's fleet sailed into the Chesapeake to wait for a favorable wind for the voyage south to Hampton Roads. On the 19th of September, Cochrane sailed for Halifax and Cockburn for Bermuda. A small squadron under Rear Admiral Pulteney Malcolm and the troop ships maintained a British presence in the Chesapeake until the 14th of October when Malcolm was ordered into the Atlantic. Off the northwest coast of Jamaica, he rendezvoused with the Grand Fleet assembling there for the attack on New Orleans. The cargo of the departing fleet included the pickled remains of Britain's fallen hero, Major General Robert Ross. In the hold of the Royal Oak, Ross's corpse, stripped, washed, and eviscerated, was preserved in a cask of 129 gallons of Jamaican rum for burial in Halifax. Sir Peter Parker's corpse was similarly preserved, though in the lead-lined coffin he carried with him on the Menelaus. The American poet Charles L. S. Jones honored the preservation process with his song, Sir Peter Parker, sung to the tune of Maggie Lauder. The last stanza runs, But most his tongue thy praises rung, Jamaica's lively liquor, and swore tis fit to enliven the wit of layman or of vicar. So not in fun to be outdone, they sent this gallant speaker, well-seasoned home in his favorite rum, the far-famed Peter Parker. A perceptive correspondent to Britain's Naval Chronicle writing in October appreciated the implications of the defeat at Baltimore. The effects of the failure of our attack on Baltimore and the events in Canada have already produced consequences in America very different from those calculated on the advocates for this unnatural and dangerous war. Whilst at home the public feelings are vehemently and variously agitated, some of our leading journals are for crushing all the United States at once by sending the Duke of Wellington and 50,000 troops there. We fear other work may too soon be cut out for that hero and his army much nearer home, and that this ruinous contest will continue till we become again involved in a new war with a power we need not name.'